Hello, this is CIA Files. I'm your host, Topher Ford. My co-host is Brandon Gibbons. Brandon, should I redo that? Uh, well, I don't I know. Don't I think that's my, this might be the podcast you've been looking for. I'm going to, yeah. Is it? <laughs> is this the podcast I'm looking for? Not uh, you, but the people. Uh, well, either way, it's what we got. So, uh, how how are things going? Where are you at right now? I'm in Krakow. Uh, yeah, it's been um, pretty interesting. Well, it showed up and um, found the best thing. I, I, the best use of my talents appears to be making IKEA furniture at um, one of the <laughs> refugee centers. <laughs> yeah, all right, that's cool. And um, we ran into a group. Uh, let me see. Uh, well, Team Krakow was one of the people we met with, and. Uh, we worked at their warehouse for a day, um, and uh, doing like foot warmers and stuff. So they got like 60,000 of them that they needed to repackage, but they were holding them here because if they, it's warm now, of course. Um, they said, well, if we send them now, they might get lost or put away in someone's back office to be sold kind of, you know, corruptly. So this is we're going to hold them until um, it gets cooler and then send them. So they should have a better chance to go ahead immediately to keep those little footsies and handies warm in the winter. And um, let's see. There was another group, mission.uk.co, and they were delivering at the um, – I call it Hope Hostel, but I think it has a different name. Yeah, I was here again. I can't remember the freaking name of it. But um, I just show up and they give me IKEA furniture and I just lock myself away. But um, a delivery showed up and uh, we went down, went downstairs to help with it. And it was some some British people that there was like four people that bought up uh, two vans. They bought up two vans and got a bunch of donations and just loaded it up. And um, they've done it. Uh, at least once before, but um, one of their cars broke down and it was getting fixed. And uh, we told them they could stay with us, so, so we've been sleeping in the van. And uh, we got a pretty nice little little Airbnb. And we was like, oh well, okay, we'll we'll help the cause. Come and get some, some showers and some good sleep in a cozy apartment. And then they were gone the next day. And um, but I think they're coming back through. Uh, that reminds me a lot of the time I spent uh, touring as uh, in rock bands, and <laughs> because that was a standard thing, like go to a town you've never been to and hope that you know there's somebody in the audience who thinks you're cool and offers you a place to stay, so you go sleep on their couch or on the floors, and then wake up at seven in the morning and leave leave a little note thanks for the couch yeah so long and thanks for all the fish yeah so we today we are um following up on our profile on current cia director william j burns um last time last week we discussed you know his background you know, his upbringing, education, the fact that he's like a legacy diplomat and uh, 
government service worker. And um, yeah, we kind of went through his political career up until present day. And so today we're going to discuss, you know, his time served as the uh, director of the CIA. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I wanted to, this ties in a little bit. So one of the things we're going to discuss with Bill Burns is how he has been pretty open and forthcoming with um, intelligence, especially we saw this in the lead up to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, which we'll talk about more later. But he's been, you know, compared to past CIA directors, he's been pretty uh, transparent. You know, for a CIA director, we not well, go, <laughs> go well yeah. I mean, I remember in the lead up to the invasion, um, one of the things that we talked about is like Biden was like telling what was going to happen beforehand, and like, oh yeah, the Russians are about to do this. And like, no, as they do it, uh, the yeah. Russians are about to do this. No, and then they, <laughs> yeah, and, and then um, they we're like, oh well, that, yeah, I said, oh that's brilliant because it tells us that. Like the Russians know, like, uh, we, we know what you're doing, and then they got to right. get all paranoid. And... Whereas usually <laughs> it's just kind of a low-key sort of, uh, you know, they don't talk about it until it happens uh, historically. Um, but, yeah, so it in, in that spirit of openness, I, it, it seems like a couple of uh, past – CIA and national security figures have also embraced that openness. Um, the first, like, so, because we, blah, 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 blah. So we've had two different former public officials come out and openly discuss uh, with no qualms their roles in uh, election uh, rigging. God, my words, (laughs) brain, words, please. I'd like to request words from you, brain, today. Thank Mm, you. Have you you filled out a form 98326? No, and uh, now that I know the name of that form, I can't remember what it was I was asking for. So, thanks. No. All right. So, basically, okay, we'll start with the first one. So, we have this tweet uh, from at Fiorella Isabel M. um, And this is. Uh, in regards to uh, former CIA director James Woolsey being on uh, Laura Ingram's show on Fox News. So she said, quote, former CIA director James Woolsey laughs when Laura Ingram asks if the U.S. has, quote, tried to meddle in other countries' elections. And he says, oh, probably, but for the good of the system, to avoid communists from taking over. And then she asks him, do we do it now? And he responded, only for a good cause. So he's... Of course we do. Right. Because the CIA has in the past, you know, like m- m- more recent times, has said that they don't do this anymore because uh, it doesn't uh, provide good results. It's not, it's not worth it. And also, oh, I guess it's kind of unethical. Uh, so they've said that they don't that you know they stopped doing this. I guess you know pretty much after Reagan, uh, they kind of took the stance of like we don't you know 
we're not getting involved in other people's elections anymore, which I guess they weren't telling the truth. I, <laughs> I could feign shock for sarcasm, uh, yeah. but what's the point? It's <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, it is something that I am frustrated uh, with because it, in a sense, also adds a sort of um, legitimacy to the Russian claims that, oh, the whole maiden protests were staged. And it's like, well, staged is a bit of a strong word. But, you know, we we may very well have been helping create um, controversy where there wasn't before. Um, having said that, maybe it was for a good cause. Right, yeah, no. we talked about that. Like <laughs> the CIA helping um, facilitate you know, mass protests, like we talked about that with Hong Kong, with, you know, there were, there have been lots of claims that the CIA played a, a hand in those protests. And I was, I felt like if I lived in Hong Kong and I didn't want to be subject to Chinese policy, then I'd probably accept help from the CIA too, you know, because taking on the Chinese government would be pretty difficult as just a regular individual. So it's hard to say, but yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a whole lot of gray area with it, you know, like um, if we're supposed to promote freedom, democracy, you know, at what point are you being um, unethical? You know, like, Oh, well, if we clandestinely donate, to a democratic organization is that, you know, is that unethical? Um, but it's also why the Russians got rid of a lot of the non-government organizations because they said they're really fronts for um, pro-Western groups, which may or may not have been true. But they right. also wanted it, to get rid of missionaries. <laughs> right. Well, cause, you know, maybe their claims are true, and then. Maybe they're not, and they're just using it as an excuse to consolidate power. So, but uh, they've they've got valid uh, claims to work with to you know legitimize well, their other claims. I, I would say when you say valid, I define valid as anywhere from a grain of salt to uh, okay, maybe it's true, but yeah. I mean, it could be very exaggerated. Or it could, right. I mean, there, theoretically, it could be no interference at all. Um, or it could be something that, you know, come on, in all honesty, it's pretty innocuous. I think, um, some, I remember seeing some Cuban fellow that did uh, a blog and he receives like $50,000 a year from the State Department or some group that's linked to the State Department and then you have the Cuban government's like, oh, you know, this is, you know, spycraft. And it's like, well, it's also supporting freedom of speech. I mean, you know, like, there's a difference in that and actually organizing riots. Or, right, and, and it makes that, you... <laughs> that seems to be the claim that the Russians were making. is like, oh, this was a staged rebellion, a staged coup. We all got along perfectly fine until the CIA came and did all this. Like, yeah, right. I don't think that's exactly how it went down. Well, there, and there's this thing of, um, you know, the CIA has a history of sort of uh, founding and funding propaganda outlets, but not 
keeping direct control of them and then it backfires on them like uh, i think it was radio free europe or you know one at least one of their anti-communist radio stations in eastern europe uh where they like you know they they funded it and you know they put people in there who were going to say anti-communist things but then they didn't have direct control over what they were saying and that came back to bite them in the ass later when the radio stations were like pushing for a more hardline revolutionary stance and the CIA was like whoa now's maybe not the time for that and they're like <laughs> you know so the chat cleared we're talking i mean and well in a more general sense the CIA has a long history of you know uh enabling and empowering resistance only to like you know resistance groups only to like completely lose control of them later and have or not even have control of them in general and then have them you know yeah it's kind of a pattern <laughs> yeah. so yeah so anyway that was uh, you know, former CIA director James Woolsey. And then after him, uh, we had our good friend, uh, former Trump national security advisor, John Bolton. He's, he was saying that Trump didn't construct a meticulous plan to overthrow the 2020 election. Uh, and he was talking with Jake Tapper. Uh, he backed up the veracity of his judgment on Trump by admitting that he had been involved with government coups before and <laughs> Trump's just not smart enough to plan one. So this is what Bolton said, quote, that's not the way Donald Trump does things. It's rambling from one half-assed idea to another, one plan that falls through and another comes up. That's what he was doing. As I say, none of it is defensible. But you have to understand the nature of what the problem of Donald Trump is. Then Tapper responded by saying, one doesn't have to be brilliant to attempt a coup. But, uh, Bolton responded, quote, I disagree with that. As someone who has helped plan coup d'etat, not here, but other places, it takes a lot of work. And that's not what he did. It, it was just stumbling around from one idea to another. So... <laughs> You know, I thought that was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. He's Bolton. like, I've I've planned coups. He's not smart <laughs> enough to plan a coup. Um, when Tapper asked him, you know, like, oh, so what coups are you talking about? He mentioned uh, Venezuela as a success. Um, oh yeah, that's really worked out well recently. That one, that one really stuck. <laughs> So uh, I was trying to remember, like, what all went ha went on with Venezuela. Yeah, well, there. I mean, Venezuela had that whole thing in the past with, um, you know, being like right wing military types that uh, the U.S. likes. But it's kind of weird for him to bring it up as a success because, like, the 1958 coup was like to keep. It was like. There was a something of a military dictator that the U.S. liked, and then there were elections, and he didn't win. But then he kind of tried to do a coup, 
to stay in place, but there was a coup that was successful to make sure he stayed gone or to get rid of him. And he, he fled, and the U.S. is like, oh, but we like him. And Nixon went to visit. He was vice president. So it's like 58, and then like if he went to visit in 59, it may have been 58, I think 59. And um, he and his entourage were attacked. And the I don't know exactly how true it is. It's probably an exaggeration, but they felt like people were spitting on um, his his car, and they had to turn the windshield wipers off. Uh, <laughs> oh, excuse me, turn the windshield wipers That's on. So nasty. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but um, yeah, like, uh, security guards were hurt. But yeah, so I mean, that's just kind of bizarre to say that would be a successful coup because one, there, there's you don't really know that, that the U.S. was involved. And it and it would have been a coup against the people the U.S. was getting the the team the U.S. was supporting, and but but Bolton does say that's all. I mean, he would have been he would have been very young then. Right, so he, he would have been involved in that one. Yeah, but I think in, the, in an interview he goes on to say, well, he was referring to the 2019 um, coup to remove Maduro, which did not work. And at the time, he said that wasn't a coup. Like back in 2019, he was like, "This wasn't a coup." Which I mean, okay, yeah, he, you know, yeah, he he could say it's clearly not a coup, but really, you know, I mean that that's what he would do is he would he would lie because that's kind of part of his job <laughs> is to pretend, right. you know. And also, Lavrov, we did not invade. We did not invade Ukraine. <laughs> like, oh I feel God. like there's a lot of uh, crossover between like the way say a corporate executive works and a high up official in the federal government works where whatever you know like whenever they refer back to something that happened that they did in the past uh they're always going to spin it to the oh well you know it was pretty good it worked out uh pretty well um no matter how it actually worked out yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like oh uh, he's I mean, he seems to be full of it. <laughs> Either way, like he wasn't involved in any successful coups, unless it's like unless there's coups that we don't know about, which I guess is that question. But right, <laughs> he may like, have been uh, when Tapper asked him, like, "What coups are you talking about?" He may have been like, "Oh crap, I can't mention <laughs> those." Uh, <laughs> Venezuela. <laughs> that was, I think, uh, I think that went well. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll circle back around to that. I just, I felt like it was important. I really wanted to discuss both of those people being so open on, you know, the 24-hour news channels. Uh, well, Bolton, he's always been pretty open about his um, ends justifying the means. And one of the things that really surprised me is, like, when he went against Trump over the whole Ukraine shenanigans, uh, um, you're like, oh, well, it sure would be nice if you investigated, you know, Hunter Biden. And, you know, we got this money coming your way. And if you guys aren't investigating corruption, well, you know, I don't know if that money's going to make it on time. I'm sure it will, but it sure would be nice. And Bolt Bolton came out and was like, mm, this is this is making our international relations partisan. And. And he's like super, super Republican. And, and right, that's true. But he yeah. was also uh, our ambassador to the United Nations for a while. So 
I'm assuming that gave him, you know, a lot of insight into the importance of maintaining those relations, you know, while Trump was in office attacking all of those relations, you know, attacking NATO, attacking the European Union. So I'm assuming it, it, you know, it has something to do with there that Bolton has a lot of ties to those leaders. Perhaps. Uh, I think that maybe he's an example, like in his heart of hearts, even though I think he's a, he's a, a warmonger, he really does believe he's doing the right thing. And that he's trying. a true believer, yeah. Yeah, and... and I can't help did. but wonder if he wouldn't have fit in really well in the 1950s and, you know, post-World War II CIA. I'm sure he would have, especially with that mustache. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, any, all right, anyway, moving on to uh, Bill Burns. We're going to get back into him and cover his career as the CIA director to date. When we last left off, Burns had retired from government service and had uh, taken a position with, uh, you know, with the think tank for on international affairs. So Bill Burns was appointed to the director of Central Intelligence in 2021, by President Joe Biden. Uh, what's interesting uh, is Burns was supposedly Biden's third choice for the job. His first choice was rumored to be longtime CIA analyst and former deputy director Michael Morell. Uh, Morell is interesting. Uh, actually, I say Morell is interesting. What I mean to say is Morell is kind of boring in CIA terms. Um, he was a CIA analyst for years. He served as a deputy director from 2010 to 2013, and he was acting director in 2011, and then again for part of 2012 to 2013. He briefed George W. Bush on the September 11th attacks. Apparently, he spent the entire day with uh, with W, you know, giving him uh, analysis on intelligence, and he told the president that he was certain that bin Laden and al-Qaeda were responsible for the attacks. Um, you know, he played a role in the whole uh, intelligence on Saddam Hussein's supposed possession of weapons of mass destruction, which we all know that didn't turn out quite how they hoped. Well, I guess I say that, but you could argue that it turned out how they hoped. and They got to invade Iraq and they got rid of Saddam Hussein. Uh, but, you know, either way. Uh, we got to do the thing we wanted to do. Yeah. In 2015, he did write an apology in his memoirs to uh, General Colin Powell for the CIA's report on Iran's weapons of mass destruction. And this was because Colin Powell, who was Secretary of State, had, he was tasked with taking this information on Saddam Hussein's possession of WMDs to the United Nations to present, you know, America's case for invading Iraq. And, uh, you know, he said afterward he was pretty unhappy about that, which is understandable. You were sent to the United Nations with a bunch of bullshit and you had to sell it. And he was like, no one ever apologized to me for that. So... Morell apologized in his book, anyway, in 2015. Um, so Biden was reportedly considering appointing Morell 
to the CIA director until some politicians pointed out that Morell had supported uh, torture during interrogations. Um, he was, you know, he was a big apologist for uh, torture or quote unquote enhanced interrogations. He had also played a part in the cover up of destroyed tapes that showed CIA officers torturing prisoners. Um, that's something we're going to discuss at some point down the road. Uh, and this was uh, Trump's first CIA director, Gina Haspel. I'm sorry, she was the second one. Trump's second CIA director, there we go, <laughs> Gina Haspel, was also very much involved in uh, you know that issue of the torture at CIA black sites of prisoners there, and they had taped the uh, torture sessions. But then when people had a problem with the fact that those torture sessions happened, she helped destroy these tapes, supposedly, or played a role in the cover-up. Um, Morell also, uh, he's been criticized because he, he defended the uh, drone programs under George W. Bush and President Obama, um, which, you know, George W. Bush used uh, drone warfare and then Obama ramped the drone program up. Uh, of course, you know, people might point out that uh, under Trump, the drone program went way up. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, keeping soldiers safe. So it, uh, you know, that was Morell's name was being brought up. Uh, although I don't think he was ever formally um, offered the job. He was just, you know, people who would have been in a position to confirm him, including some Democrats were like, he's a non-starter. Um, it's not going to fly. So then Trump offered the role to a man named Tom Donilon. Now, uh, Donilon served as the national security advisor to President Obama from 2010 to 2013. Before that, he served in the Carter and Clinton administrations. He was Secretary of State for a minute. Uh, he, had, he also advised Obama's Commission on Enhancing Cybersecurity, uh, and this is the part I find most interesting. He is currently the chair of BlackRock Investment Institute, which is the largest investment firm in the world, managing over $10 trillion in assets globally. They manage more money than almost every government, uh, every nation on the planet, except for China and the United States. So... <laughs> Yeah, they they kind of sort of own everything, like <laughs> everything. I, yeah, I think they. Um, I think one of their uh, real estate investment trusts owns uh, a lot of housing. Uh, oh, certainly. Uh, absolutely. So yeah, like when the you had the housing bust, and I mean we're you know it's like uh, we're all becoming um, uh, first. You got to pay to the landlords. You know, a couple of people own everything, but instead yeah. of it being one particular lord with an obligation to someone higher and some sort of hierarchy, um, not that it's necessarily a good thing. It's you know, faceless corporations, and you know, when you get a, a board room together, 
um, there's this thing called diffusion of responsibility. You know, right. The bystander effect takes place. So you can do horrible, horrible things by committee. Right. Especially when uh, they say that they answer to the shareholders and uh, the shareholders becomes a label not for, you know, a group of people, but like this faceless, massive, singular entity that constantly demands more, more and more. You know, it's yeah, profit, profit at all costs is what it comes right. down to. And, and, and I really and, think that, yeah. And they're they legally obligated form. to, because if they make decisions that might be morally sound and ethical, but they are not in the best interests of the profit margin, then those executives who made those business decisions will get kicked out and sued. Um, so right, anyway, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, I'm not smart enough to like make a real, uh, articulated critique of capitalism and shareholder capitalism. But from what I understand of it, it's all bad. I don't, <laughs> well, know. I'll give a disclosure. I do own a couple of shares of, um, from this, this company's ETF. They're down I'm right like, now. So if that makes you feel better. <laughs> I mean, even Karl <laughs> Marx owned stocks. So, <laughs> I mean, the only reason I don't have any is because I'm I don't have a lot of money and I don't know what I'm doing. So I just uh, put some money in the savings and then spend the rest on crap I don't need because I'm an American. Damn it! I'm an. Yeah, got to keep that economy going. If you stop spending That's money right. on things you don't need, then then. People are like, man, they got a lot of business, you know? Yeah. So here's some, some more entry. Like uh, when you talk about conspiracy theories, uh, you know, like groups that control the world. Um, now, I'm not saying that BlackRock like controls the world. It ha It's more of a matter of influence, you know, like they have a certain level of influence over things. Um, three former BlackRock executives currently work in Biden's cabinet as economic advisors. Um, if that help, if that tells you anything, and then here's I think the most telling thing about BlackRock and Donilon, um, and the CIA. Donilon declined Biden's job office. Donald declined Biden's job offer, saying he preferred to stay in the private sector. He said he wasn't ready to return to government work. Uh, so I get the feeling that as, uh, you know, the the chair, the lead executive mm -hmm. of BlackRock, maybe he has more pull <laughs> globally than he would as director of central intelligence. Uh, <laughs> I, that, that I could think be. that I mean, honestly, I'm pretty sure that him taking the job as director would be a demotion for him. He'd start oh, salary wise. Absolutely. Yeah. Not that I'm sure at this point, Donald doesn't have to worry about salary, but uh, I mean, demotion in terms of salary and bonuses and whatnot, but also in terms of influence. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, the bu- the budget was probably bigger with his black rock. <laughs> yeah. So he declines the job offer, and so we get to uh, our friend William Burns. Uh, one thing that's noteworthy about his appointment, uh, his appointment enjoyed full bipartisan support, which, you know, is quite a feat in today's political climate. Um, the uh, Republican Party generally seems to oppose every single appointment by a Democrat just on general principle. But he, but Burns breezed through his appointment process. He was praised by people on both sides of the aisle. That went well for him. And of course, he inherited Trump's CIA from, you know, who that was run first by Mike Pompeo and then by Gina Haspel. Don't know too much about Gina Haspel, but Pompeo is, you know, he's a pretty uh, divisive figure he's always got a lot to say and he's you know pompeo is the one who uh floated the plans to try to kidnap julian assange if you know if that gives you any, any <laughs> indication. yeah and he you know of course he moved from uh cia director to uh secretary of state i believe and he's the one that like right before right as you know the trump administration was leaving he went oh by the way the united states recognizes taiwan as a sovereign state bye <laughs> <laughs> let me kick this forward into Madison and go yeah um uh bill burns uh bill burns was highly critical of uh, the trump uh, administration's diplomacy here this is um a little bit from an npr article quote in 2019 burns wrote a scathing critique of what he called the trump administration's quote diplomatic malpractice saying it had badly mistreated uh marie marie yovanovich the u.s ambassador in ukraine whose removal from her post became a central topic in the president's impeachment and Senate trial. Uh, He wrote, quote, I've never seen an attack on diplomacy as damaging to both the State Department as an institution and our international influence as the one now underway. So, and that tracks, you know, Trump was not... he wasn't a great diplomat. <laughs> you know, if you recall, he spent a lot of time uh, criticizing the leaders of our allied countries while cozying up to dictators, our, you know, countries that we consider enemies. And so I think it's pretty natural that Bill Burns was going to be critical of that because that's very, he's very much the opposite of that being a career diplomat. Oh, and playing nice with the enemy didn't accomplish anything. Uh, arguably, it made us look like weak pushovers, which right. kind of fascinates me because it's like, aren't these guys supposed to be the really tough ones and you're that side of the aisle are supposed to be, right. you know, the, yeah. the war hawks and like, uh, so yeah, it's really, it was kind of a bizarre take on things or a bizarre approach you mean my like, administration 
Yeah, yeah. Like I can I can understand offering an olive branch. I can understand trying like, you know, hey, let's you know, let's maybe we I'm not I was like I wasn't president back during the last coup attempt on your right. nation. So maybe, you know, mistakes But that's not really what he did. Mistakes have been made and like right. Yeah, right. It's not even um well that, yeah, that's one thing I, I could understand approaching things like that. But yeah, he was kinda like, Ah, oh, I kinda like how you get those people to march out in front of you. That's cool. Right. You know. Yeah, his <laughs> approach was like I really like the way uh everybody seems to be scared shitless of this guy that's really cool kim jong-un's got a pretty good racket going on here yeah so burns um seemed to kind of try to take the opposite approach that from the uh, trump administration and dealing with foreign leaders uh and really put to use his skills as a diplomat and an ambassador uh, something that he's been doing that we mentioned briefly last time, but as CIA director, something he's been doing that's a little unorthodox for that person in that position is he's been uh, visiting and meeting face to face with the leaders of different foreign nations. He met with South Korean President Moon Jae-in in October 21. Uh, that meeting seemed to be a sort of uh, friendly, let's-touch-base affair, uh, with Burns expressing respect for Moon's efforts to handle South Korea's conflict with North Korea. And, uh, yeah, I didn't see a lot that was, you know, really exciting or sexy about the meeting, uh, you know, other than just the fact that it occurred, which was a little rare. Um Burns also met with the Taliban leader Abdul Ghani Baradar during the uh, U.S. withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan in 2021. So he was in the mix there, which uh, that seems kind of obvious, you know, that he would be heavily involved in withdrawal of troops there. So neither the White House nor the Taliban would comment on the meeting of the two but it's likely they discussed the Taliban's stance on some key policies going forward and also to just sort of keep the uh their you know their relationship smooth as the United States withdrew uh the troops because if you remember you know like uh, ISIS tried to attack the airports and everything and basically tried to stir the pot so to speak, during that uh, withdrawal. And both governments, the United States government and the Taliban, were both quick to go like, okay, no, that's not us, and we're not we're not starting fighting again over this. That's um, rabble-rousers trying to start some shit. Um, he's also been involved with our relationship with Saudi Arabia. President Biden uh, took a hardline stance on Saudi Arabia, uh, promising that if he was elected, he would make them a pariah state and he would end support for the Saudis in their war in Yemen. Uh, since then, Biden seems to have tried to walk back some of that rhetoric, uh, you know, especially considering how 
gas prices and uh, the gas supply has been affected by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, so since then, he's been trying to, you know, get the Saudis to help relieve some of that pressure. And of course, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the Saudi prince, has been like, oh, so now you want to now you want to talk. Now you want to be buddies. Uh, now you want to work something out. Um, so, yeah, the, Biden's walked back some of that rhetoric, uh, trying to work with the Saudis to alleviate the rising fuel prices in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And the U.S. has even sent Saudi Arabia uh, Patriot missile interceptors uh, last March. So Burns met with Saudi Prince Mohammed bin Salman last April, although what was discussed is still unknown. Uh, last May, and we reported on this in our news episodes, Burns traveled to Brazil to meet with President Jair, uh, Jair, Jair I'm sorry, I'm very sorry, Jair, Jair Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro, we'll just stick with that, where Burns reportedly warned warned the president not to attack or undermine the integrity of Brazil's upcoming elections. Uh, Bolsonaro is currently seeing poor approval ratings from uh, Brazilian voters, and he's responded to that by following Donald Trump's example and making a lot of declarations that the, ex that the election uh, would will likely be stolen by his opponent. So he's He's been doing that same thing of laying groundwork to delegitimize the elections in the event that he loses. And so Burns reportedly traveled there. I wonder where he could have gotten an idea like that. Yeah, it's Donald Trump. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I know you're uh, being sarcastic, but. I don't have the patience for that anymore. Not for you. I'm not out of patience with you, but just a, a general. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, as far as uh, Vern's attitude going forward, uh, when he was appointed director, he stated that China is his top priority. Uh, he framed the conflict with China as one over economic power and technological domination. Uh, Burns has been quite vocal about China's intentions to take Taiwan by military force in the near future. He says China has been closely watching the global response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and they're going to use the lessons that they learned from that in order to plan their invasion of Taiwan while uh, trying to avoid a lot of the economic consequences that Russia has suffered through sanctions and lost business. So he's saying, and this makes sense, it tracks that China has been watching how the world reacted to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the nuts and bolts, I would say, of the sanctions and all the economic uh, consequences that Russia has been dealing with, and then working to sort of bolster themselves against, uh, you know, dealing with the same damage. And I, you know, his his stance on China is pretty in line with 
China seems to be another sort of bipartisan issue here in the states, although, you know, the Republicans, I think, you know, have been saying that Biden's too easy or he's inadvertently helping China with his, you know, what they would call bumbling policies and whatnot. But Yeah, he should be going and talking to Xi about how great he is and how, how bright it is that he's, like, having Instagram. Well, like, not Instagram, but, like, their live streamers in China are, like, disappearing, not necessarily in prison, but being removed from the air for hurting the feelings of the Chinese people. Yeah, so, that's interesting. Yeah. I was thinking about, like, because you've said in the past that uh, many Chinese people are very sensitive about uh, any perceived attacks on Chinese culture. And I thought about that as I saw a video about a Chinese MMA fighter who was, uh, he became well known for fighting against uh so-called kung fu masters uh you know oh yeah yeah yeah. That guy. <laughs> and he would get in the ring and fight with you know you know like i said uh self-proclaimed kung fu ma now during his 2020 campaign kung fu garb and you know took the you know all of the sort of kung fu stances that you might see in movies and he would just immediately destroy them using you know standard mma fighting techniques with you know judo and uh, boxing and everything and um, i think he said he was trying to you know like expose these people as like they're not good fighters they say they're good fighters but they're not and he was viciously attacked and you know like in the public eye for uh you know, attacking Chinese culture because... Yeah, well, I think uh, it was a lot of the ones he was um, fighting, or the ones I've seen, it's mostly been Tai Chi fighters. And, like, Tai Chi is more about the energy. And it's like, oh, I can use my energy to, to defeat you. That's like... And it doesn't work very well. Is that like the um, there's homeopathic a, version of Kung Fu? Yeah, yeah. It's um. Well, because when I think a... of Tai Chi, I don't think of fighting. I think of it as like a meditative practice, uh, similar to yoga or something. Um, right. And I think as far as that goes, it might be quite helpful. Or you know, it's it's a, a good thing, nice on your joints. Right. Um, it seems but, I've but, never yeah. really practiced Tai Chi. Maybe once or twice I've tried. I don't know, but. Yeah, uh, it seems like it could be very good for meditative stuff, but I couldn't. Uh, again, I'll yeah, nice exercise flexibility, but yeah, you're 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 not going to hey, fight off anybody. You're not going to get in a ring with uh, an uh, MMA fighter and yoga, or you know, energy flow your way out of the fight. Yeah, uh, the the bullshito 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 <laughs> some kind of like um, uh, Facebook. Uh, group that dojo life and bullshito, oh. <laughs> or it makes fun of stuff like that. That's clever. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, he's taken a pretty hard stance against China and their expansion. Uh, although it sounds like, you know, we've discussed this. I've asked you lots of times. Um, 
Like, what is it that Western people, Western leaders are so afraid of when it comes to China? And we've talked about how China is expanding its territorial reach, you know, uh, taking over small islands in the Pacific, even building artificial islands, you know, to make like small military outposts or fishing grounds. Uh, and that's understandable. I mean, it makes sense that they would be worried about that sort of stuff from a global power perspective. But I still, I still wonder, like when we have people like Bill Burns and other American uh, political leaders coming out and saying, you know, trying to convince the American public that China is a threat. And I still wonder, I mean, and this is purely from a selfish perspective, but as an American citizen who doesn't travel, you know, I've never left the country. I'd like to, but, um, you know, just like, I'm just like a middle-class person in America living a middle-class life. I work my day job. I do my hobbies. How is China's, you know, expansion going to affect me? How is it going to affect the, like, why should your everyday American be concerned with China? Why, how did Russia's expansion into Ukraine affect you? Um, the gas prices went up. Uh, yeah. And. And if the Straits of Taiwan become a war zone and. I mean, you got all those people in Taiwan that live in a democratic system, and if they're fighting against a, a kind of authoritarian system, so it just really it matters. I guess it's about values. So yeah, which I mean, I I understand that I'm not trying to discount the you know the importance of those values, um, but yeah, I, they they pose it as as an existential threat to the American way of life almost. And I guess I'm still just not seeing that. Yeah. I mean, that, that might be a bit much, but it's still the thing. Like if, I mean, Russia conquered Ukraine and, um, wouldn't really be a, a threat to the existence of the U S but that doesn't mean it's not something the U S should be involved in. And same thing if, um, China forced Taiwan into the People's Republic um, government structure. It wouldn't be the the end of the United States or Japan for that matter. Um, theoretically, it could even um, lead to a more peaceful world if that's kind of the end of those territorial ambitions. Um, but, you know, you've got a, an island of people that have spent you know, two or three generations now as Essentially, a democracy. You know, maybe one and a half because they did have a military dictatorship for a while. But you know, it's, uh, I mean, we're we're supposed to say we're all modern and value individual rights, and either we do or we don't. Right. <laughs> and I I see that. I you know I totally understand that. And um, as a self-professed non-expert, the uh, you know, the potential of China invading and overtaking Taiwan 
strikes me as bad. <laughs> you know, uh, it's I don't think that they should do it from a moral standpoint. Obviously, they disagree with me, and they <laughs> and they. I still haven't gotten an email with like a, a questionnaire from China <laughs> asking me my opinion on it. So maybe. <laughs> What is Topher M. Ford and Lord? Topher M. Ford, the government of China, really values your ideas and opinions. We'd like you to complete this one question survey for us. Could you download this app? Oh, yeah. We want you to download <laughs> this you... app and then send it to your friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay, I get that. And also, I get, you know, there are some ramifications. Uh, Taiwan is currently, uh, although the other places are trying to catch up, including the United States, but Taiwan, you know, currently has, is the world's largest producer of microchips, which are in uh, short supply lately, from what I understand. That's been, uh, you know, when we talk about um, supply line issues, uh, supply chain issues. Uh, oh no, my video game consoles are going to get more expensive. Well, you know it's what you know. A weird byproduct of the microchip shortage that I've noticed is in the new car market. Um, mm. New new vehicles, all new vehicles, rely heavily on microchips, and they can't produce more. And we've. Like my wife uh, recently went shopping for a new car. We went to a few dealerships, and uh, including a, the local Toyota dealership here, and their lot was so sparse, and I was surprised. And it was like, where are all the cars? And then I did a little reading. I was like, oh, they can't keep up with demand, and the you know they can't manufacture enough cars because of the microchip shortage. Uh, as a result, car prices in general have gone way up. Used car prices are outrageous right now. Um, so, you know, I guess in that way, that's an effect. Uh, I mean, that's not caused by China at the moment, but uh, it would be interesting to know what China would do, how they would leverage that uh, power if they took Taiwan and took over control of their uh, microchip manufacturing. So, I mean, that's just one element that I, that popped into my head. Mm. Oh, well, I guess we got to start manufacturing back home. Well, we actually, that, um, we talked about this in the news. Uh, they are currently in Texas. Uh, I can't remember which companies, but they are working on building what will be a larger microchip manufacturing plant here in the United States. So Oh man, but when they when they do Texas, then the microchips will be there. That's right. Texas is uh gonna secede. Uh no. yeah. <laughs> so um, Elon Musk will be declared king. <laughs> and I picture Elon Musk as king there and Ted Cruz as his like sniveling sidekick, like that the wormy guy in Lord of the Rings, who was do you remember <laughs> yeah. that guy? Uh I can't yeah. remember his name, but he was like was always... all weaselly and his hair was greasy and he was 
the advisor to the king and the king was generally good uh but he had this painfully obvious villain as his uh as his advisor <laughs> that'll be ted cruz to elon musk and elon musk won't be basically good uh he will be basically <laughs> terrible <laughs> anyway anyway we're not getting into the speculative fiction uh realm just yet all right so um uh one more thing we were going to touch on and we kind of mentioned this earlier as far as bill burns approach and that was uh how he dealt with russia's invasion of ukraine uh you know in the time before russia's invasion he voiced warnings that russia was building up for that invasion uh, a lot of other people uh around the world world leaders and politicians were like oh you're being uh, reactionary we don't think he would actually putin wouldn't actually invade ukraine again uh, of course russia kept saying over and over again no we're we're uh we're not invading it's like i mentioned from civ 5 when you you have a buildup of your troops by another civilization's borders they'll say hey your your troops are making my people kind of nervous what are you doing and then you have to respond either you're right to worry it's war or oh don't worry our troops are merely passing through the area and then if you say that and then later invade then your credibility among the other civilizations in the game is hurt um, but yeah that's pretty much what putin did oh no our troops are merely passing through the area <laughs> and bill burns uh kept tell you know he would say this and told president biden who echoed it uh no russia is going to invade and they're going to do it very soon and it's going to be massive and uh as opposed to you know like i guess you'd say the standard uh approach to this in the past they backed up their claims by releasing um raw intelligence as soon as they got it including aerial satellite photographs of the russian troops uh being built up and you know other just raw intelligence that uh they would get and what i'm what i'm getting is you're telling me that the guy that and the intel analyst that accurately predicted the invasion of ukraine is now telling us that china plans to invade taiwan yes that is what is happening um that is a correct assessment of most recent that is the synopsis yes <laughs> the cliff notes <laughs> the cliff notes yes so you know there i think one of the things that bill burns is trying to do as cia director is to do what he can to fight uh, this disinformation war that we've got going on. Um, he even, you know, like there's been lots of rumors flying around that Putin is sick, that he has cancer or Parkinson's disease, you know, and Bill Burns has even come out and said like, Hey, we, as far as the CIA is concerned, we don't have any information that that's true. So even in stuff that you would normally like, Claims like that you would normally attribute to the CIA fabricating to help their case. 
uh, and he came out and squashed it, you know. Yeah, and that was pretty interesting, too, because, um, yeah, it's like, well, maybe it was actually the FSB that was, um, you know, spreading it out. Because um, the logic behind that, uh, and, yeah, I, I fell for it. I thought Putin was ill, but the logic behind presenting him as being quite ill is then the West can say, oh, let's not really help. Let's wait. Let's wait it out. You know, he'll, he'll be dead. He'll be dead soon anyway. There's no real need to act. And it's really quite brilliant tactic. Yeah. But it also, you know, it sounds very much like something that the CIA of the 60s would have done, you know. <laughs> yeah. Because we talked about that with the episode on the uh, CIA manual of trickery and deception, how they wanted to undermine Castro by, you know, dosing him with acid while he was <laughs> on the radio or making his hair fall out. You know, doing all kinds of silly things. Prank him. Try to prank him. Prank him, yeah. Uh, that reminds me. And... I'm rewatching the Venture Brothers, if you ever watched that cartoon. And uh, there is uh, one of the characters was Baron von Underbite. Underbite. He's kind of a Dr. Doom sort of uh, figure. And he's like the dictator of a small latvian style country and you see they have an underground resistance that's fighting him but they're only doing it by literally by pranking him putting cat hair in his water glass uh one of their agents was uh executed because he was caught putting the baron's hand in warm water while he was asleep <laughs> so i don't know just yeah, it, it very much sounds you know, like that's very <laughs> the CIA in the '60s with Fidel Castro was not too far away from that. So let's put some powder in his boots that makes his beard fall out. You know, I, I feel like they would be one step away from like the TikTok pranks you see. Like we'll have somebody sneak in and cover his entire kitchen in aluminum foil. That'll make him angry. So, but yeah, that's kind of, uh, that's Bill Burns uh, up to now. Like, you know, uh, we have to, time will tell if he is an effective CIA director. I will say that as far as what we can see, and of course, you know, getting real-time information on the CIA is difficult they're kind of tight-lipped about that for the most part but so far i feel like he is not a bad cia director uh both in terms of managing the cia and in terms of being a decent human and not a scum pile um Ooh, that's a hard thing to to balance yeah i know is that's well that uh, exactly I don't. I don't. I, think, I don't know if those two things are actually possible. We gotta. We gotta wait for. Well, the, that's why I say we'll guy. wait. We can't. We don't know yet. Um. And I, I have not. I have very little information on like what the actual CIA is up to right now. Um. You know, like I said, they don't re generally report <laughs> that stuff. There's usually uh, a lag of a few years before you get to know you know what was happening 
but so far his um mo seems to be diplom you know diplomatic relations seeing if uh they can work things out without having to do too much spy versus spy stuff i mean i'm sure that stuff is still okay. there that's never gonna just go away but yeah it's interesting uh i'm very curious so far yeah so uh that's the episode for the week uh be sure to you know like i said before check out our socials twitter at cia files podcast instagram at cia files facebook.com slash cia files and um said it before but those uh ratings are a big help if you if you're a new listener you know hit the subscribe button uh i hate saying that because it's so cliche but you know it's a big help uh if you're oh, just, the reviews yes we the, really need reviews the reviews, reviews are strong. a big thing if you like the show and you enjoy expressing your opinion out loud you can uh, write us a review on your podcasting app if you're on apple podcasts or spotify or wherever um you can also go to our website ciafiles.net uh where you can leave us a voice message which uh we will listen to it and maybe even play on the show who knows anything's possible um yeah brandon do you have anything else yeah. yeah if you guys are interested in our adventures in krakow um right now you can uh, visit my wife's blog at devidyall.com d-e-v-i-d-y-a-l dot com and uh, she will be hosting as well on Rise of Mammon yeah that's right she's going to join us on there uh, help us uh, work through some of that shenanigans uh, keep a lookout for that on uh, coming in September and um you i'm also you know like uh having a little fun over on twitter uh i'm not super active on twitter because it is not good for my mental health especially for uh, um that twitter account i'm following a lot of uh hard right religious figures and hard right uh politicians and some of the stuff they say makes me a little antsy <laughs> but um if you can follow us, uh, you can hit me up there on Twitter at Rise of Mammon um, to sort of get uh, where you can get all the updates on the show. And yeah, I guess I've uh, rambled on enough and uh, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, you guys have a great week. Keep your bellies full and your heads on a swivel and uh, we'll be back next week. Alrighty. Oh, you guys have a good day.